This is Paul Nobles from eatperform.com and I am sitting here with April Blackford who apparently wants to see me so we can make the magic happen here I guess. Um, but we do this where we are on a um, on a go-to meeting platform while you guys are watching on Facebook Live or listening on the podcast. So, April, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. So, I was just... Yeah, she's trying to whisper. I was just saying that um, uh, I was traveling this weekend, and uh, one of the the gals that was skating with my daughter, my daughter was skating at um, the Nationals competition for artistic roller skating, and oh my God, was that an amazing experience, you know, um, just, you know... It was her first year. She's 14. Many of the people that she was competing against were 16, close to 17. Um, but what was really cool about it was that um, it definitely felt like she was supposed to be there, you know. Um, and she didn't seem outclassed. You know, of course, she was. You know, she didn't. She. We were joking that... Uh, you know, she is the 28th best sophomore or uh, freshman sophomore B class skater in the world. Um, the only problem was is that there was only 20 people that compete, 28 people that competed. Um, so she came in last, but it was a great experience. And her and the gal that came from her club, they both really enjoyed it. But uh, when we were driving down, we started listening to podcasts and. Um, you know, it was mentioned that we have a podcast, and so um, Emily's friend wanted to hear it, and <laughs> it didn't take long for us to to not. I don't listen to them. Do you listen to them? No. Um, there's been a couple of times that Tom and Tommy put it on, because um, we have like a 60-inch smart TV, Yeah. and they'll put it on the TV off of YouTube. They used to do that. But yeah. I absolutely hate the sound of my voice. So I'm like, cut it off. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, no. I, I don't know. I, I'm not self-conscious about that stuff, I guess. Um, I know I don't, you, don't have, you don't have the yeehaw accent, so... Yeah, but people like the yeehaw accent. I told you that being a southern boy, you know, um, it definitely definitely reminds me of home. And, and in North Carolina, it's really funny. In North Carolina, is like the... the the top of the top, you know, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of ge geography, but you guys have some of the thickest accents, you know, uh, in all of the South. No, for real. You know, I mean, a lot of the times, you know, people will ask you, right? Like you're from Texas or something, you know, they think that your accent is like that. I've actually, I've actually, I had people ask me if I was from Louisiana. Yeah, I can see that. The reason, I mean, I'm from Louisiana originally, if people don't know that, but um, the reason why I don't have an accent, well, one, I've been up north for a while, but that's not why, actually. Um, I moved around a lot when I was young, and so no particular thing sort of picked up, right? And uh, But man, you get me around my dad, I mean, you were around me with my dad the one time, and I start, start yawling a little bit more and start to get a little bit more... Um, you know, into uh, kind of a, a southern way of talking. But um, 
you know, the topic tonight, what I wanted to talk about, I especially wanted to talk about the scale idea. And, you know, we often get a lot of people that talk about, you know, the scale is the enemy. And it used to be something that, you know, I wouldn't really fight very much or, or talk about very much because I wanted people... You know, I think there was a there was a time with Eat to Perform, and I think April will probably agree with me, where we really felt more strongly about people feeling comfortable than we did about um, talking to them realistically about where their insecurities lie, right? And and we've gotten better with that message over the years. And you know, there's a there's a fine line. Right there's the social side of of getting to know all of us. I mean, you know, eat to perform is not like a lot of things out there. Right, um, many of the people are friends. Um, we know many of these people personally. We see them at at, at get-togethers at summer camp. You know, um, April talked last week about how um, some of the clients that she works with. You know, travel down to North Carolina from Wisconsin just to work out with her. You know, so that's the kind of thing that Eat to Perform is about. And so sometimes it's not easy to say to someone, look, when you're troubled by the scale, you know, what you're really troubled by is the expectation of the scale, right? And what I think happens for a lot of people is there is kind of a hope and wish type of, type of approach to this whole thing. You know, so they they're looking for a result and ultimately um, they're not receiving that result. So they say, screw it, you know, and they pull the ostrich, put their head in the sand. And, you know, eventually they're going to weigh themselves at some future point. And for the good majority of people, I mean, I haven't really heard of too many people that it worked out for. You know, they're going to check the scale at some point. They're going to go to the doctor at some point, And they're going to find out that they were 15 to 20 pounds heavier than they were previous to that. Right? Now, we could have a discussion about whether they should weigh this or whether they should weigh that. Or if people have unrealistic body expectations. But I don't think it's fair to say that you shouldn't have some goals as it relates to body composition right that's where a little bit of the discussion of of you know what that means and how to have a healthy approach with that works out so before i kind of move on to to some of the other pieces there april what are your thoughts on that um i think we've had this conversation a couple of times before you know ultimately you know some of us have more performance focus, you know, primary goals and some have body composition, but the underlying goal, goal I think, for everyone who does eat perform or who has joined eat perform is to look good naked, you know, bottom line, and right. that's body composition, you know, whether that be to get the scale down, to get the scale up, whatever, you know, we, I've, I've chatted with several great coaching clients over the years, you know, and, and tried to, to have them develop a healthy relationship with the scale. Because I think you're spot on. You can't just ignore it. You know, you can't just ignore it, especially when you're coming from an underfit background. You absolutely just cannot ignore the scale. You know, but 
try to develop a better relationship and use it as a data point to see how your body responds to food and see, you know, and just overall ensure that you're headed in the right direction. You know, ultimately long term, like like me, for example, you know, if I have specific, you know, fat loss goals in mind or, you know, if I'm trying to, if I'm in a fat loss cycle, I will weigh more regularly. I'll weigh daily. But when those are not my goals, it's not as frequently. You know, but you still have to kind of check in to make sure, you know, oh, crap, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I've gained 10 pounds over vacation. You know, I need to kind of tighten the, the, the rails a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, no, um, that's actually where I wanted to go with it, right? Um, so what, what April and I tend to try to do rather than, you know, us pl placing judgments on you guys is we, trend, we tend to try to put the mirror on ourselves, right? So obviously... I'm traveling this weekend, um, no access to a scale, no access to, you know, not, not, not a lot of access to the, to the foods that I eat normally that make up my day. And um, certainly as you start to eat things, now I wasn't eating irresponsibly, but I would say virtually every day my, um, my food had a little bit more sodium mostly because I was eating out, you know, um, I did bring some stuff with me, protein bars and shakes and stuff like that to help a little bit, but my normal routine of popcorn and kombucha and, and the, like the little things that really helped me get through the day, you know, those weren't there. And um, so when I came back home, I weighed myself and, you know, first of all, you know, one of the things that I think people discount is the value of sodium. I mean, one of the things that I read early on um, was from Lane Norton talking about sodium and how sodium, you know, helps load from the small intestine into the system by creating an electrical bond with uh, potassium. And he's always been a big fan of, of, you know, keeping sodium levels reasonable, if not even on the high side, especially for active individuals, just because your muscles look better, right? So my muscles look great, you know, um, but my weight was up a little bit, okay? So you can get kind of enamored with that, right? So you're, you're like, okay, I look good. My weight's up three to five pounds, you know? Let me just go ahead and, well, if you weren't paying attention to your weight, you would go, hey, I look great, no big deal. Right. And then you go out for dinner. It's date night. You maybe let things go a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, three to five pounds turns into seven to nine pounds. And then you don't look so great, you know, um, with the sodium, dup, you know, look that you had, you know, and you start to feel a little looser and it starts to get out of hand. What my point being is, is that weighing myself on the day that I got back brought me to the attention that I need to be aware of this could go bad, right? And my choices naturally were made better in that process. Now, I will say a lot of people don't know how to make good choices in that scenario. You know, I'm still going to have a medium day. Medium day for me is going to be 300 grams of carbohydrates, 75 grams of fats, and 150 to 160 protein. So that's not a small amount of food, right? But 
I've already noticed, you know, drinking a little bit more water, flushing some of that sodium out, you know, I've been kind of, you know, getting rid of some of that stuff. And I've also had some yogurt today, had some kombucha. These were things that weren't kind of part of the routine. Now, I didn't eat, you know, I just want to make this super clear. I didn't eat like crazy, you know, over the last five to six days. It's just, you know, you're going to hold a little bit of water when you're traveling, whether it's a plane ride, whether it's a car ride. You know, that's all part of the process. That's why your socks kind of all of a sudden shrink and you're, you can barely fit your, your foot in your shoe anymore. Um, and so kind of keep that in mind. Um, but I, I, I think we're having two discussions because one of the people that was talking about, you know, um, trying to weigh less so she could CrossFit better. We're not saying that, you know, you shouldn't be focused on on fat loss at some point, weight loss at some point. In fact, the exact opposite is what I'm saying. You know, I would say, you know, last couple summers, I've focused a little too much on performance and it really didn't allow for some of the body composition goals that I've been shooting for this summer, right? So... I'm certainly not going to allow myself to be, you know, I think, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, discipline equals freedom. And I got that from the book, Extreme Ownership. Um, I can't remember Rocco's last name, but the, the guy's first name is Rocco. And I just believe that the discipline, as long as the expectation isn't bothered when the scale is up sometimes, because sometimes the scale needs to be up. But, you know, when the scale, you know, if you're, you know, like me, I, I've been sitting at about 175 for about the past month and a half. You know, now all of a sudden you start to see your, your weight creep up to 177. That's no big deal. 179, it's alarm time, right? It's time to, it's time to get serious. And so I think um, a lot of people listening to this will go, well, that seems really super rigid. That doesn't seem very easy to perform. I don't understand why that's not easy to perform. I almost lost, I lost almost 100 pounds. You know, I think, I think people aren't, you know, realistic about, you know, I think on the one hand, the attraction that you can eat an adequate amount of food for what you do is very attractive to people. But at the same time, the, the personal responsibility piece where you actually, you, you have an eye towards that but you also have another eye towards results, you know, at, at, at pieces, in, in parts, not all the time. Like I said, right now I'm not in a cutting cycle. I'm really more in a recomp cycle. But um, these are all the things that, that, you know, we try to walk people through, you know. But, um, yeah, so I think that. I think that that describes that well. I mean, any thoughts before we move on to, to food logging? Because I know that this is going to be a little controversial because, you know, um, people... Yeah, I think, you, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with, you know, the term results. You know, whether it be, you know, results from, you know, like the gal who posted the question, she wants to weigh less so she can be better at gymnastics and CrossFit, or, you know, results with, you know, your body composition or results with performance just overall, 
you know, if you don't eat like a responsible adult, you know, you're not going to get better in the gym, you know, so that's performance based, you know, you're not going to get your desired body composition, you know, in general, you know, you need to kind of to, you know, have some level of, of tracking and accountability to yourself. Which, which is a nice transition to the next part, okay? So I know that we all like our carbs or we like our steaks with the fat. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is that you know, most people don't have a carbohydrate problem. They don't have a fat problem. They have a carbohydrates with fat problem. And so when you're looking for a specific result, a lot of times the little things matter. And a lot of times the little things matter a lot, you know. So if, as an example, um, on my carb day, right? So today's my carb day at 300 grams of carbs. If I stay at 75, I'm typically weight stable or lower, right? Um, if I go up to 100, I'm typically going to be up weight. That's only 250 calories. Why should it matter that much? Well, it matters a great deal, right? And and everyone is sort of trying to figure out how to push that. Now, you go, well, okay, but I'd like to eat more freely. Okay, that's fine. And I actually used to eat more freely. I used to eat close to 4,000 calories a day, especially as I started to get leaner, which a lot of people, you know, um, you know, they're like, well, how did you eat 4,000 calories a day and get leaner? Well, I was expending much more than 4,000 calories. And that's the real point here. The real point is, at some point, you know, you have to go, okay, the needle's not moving. I have specifics. I am logging my food. It's telling me this, right? Now you have to go, okay, here's my route. Do I do more? Do I go back up? get to a maintenance level and try again or do I reduce calories right that's really the only three options you know um and in those three options is a myriad of ideas I think people like the idea of I'm gonna work out I'm going to you know have some level of food freedom when I see, you know, we had, a, <coughs> we were doing a podcast last Thursday and we had a 125 pound gal and she eats more than me. Well, guess what? She works out harder than I do. So she needs that much energy to fuel those great workouts, right? Um, I don't want to work out as hard as she does. At one point I did, I was very motivated to, you know, get to an extreme place, you know, and it, <clears throat> I was patient with it. I took almost two years to do it. And if you ask me, I've said it a million times, I, I only regret is that I did it too fast. <clears throat> but I always kept my eyes on the result. And I think to a certain extent, you know, I knew that I needed breaks in between and in those breaks, I did not track typically. But when I was in a cutting cycle, so to give you an example, in those two years, four to five months, no tracking, 
eating freely but eating like an adult mixing in salads and such you know it wasn't like m&ms and coke you know it was it was it was i knew i needed to be an adult at that point i was physically moving towards who i am right now and uh as i did that i would have like these shorter cutting cycles of 8 to 12 weeks which basically is is how eat perform happened in that time, I would lose anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds. This is the key point. And I think, well, I think there's two points. I wouldn't food log in that part, okay? But I would keep an eye on my weight and make sure that I was in the same ballpark most of the time. When I got specific, I absolutely tracked my food. I absolutely made sure that I was not leaving any stone unturned. And guess what else I did? I made sure that I was getting in enough activity that I didn't waste those eight to 12 weeks. You know, I see a lot of folks, they're food logging and they keep trying to do things on the low side of things, but they didn't push those four to five months. And then, you know, they kind of panic because maybe they, they check the scale too much, you know, and they put too much emphasis on the scale. And they're always looking to lower, 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 lower. And that's just not how the body works. You know, the body needs periods where you're, you're normalizing and, and keeping things um, kind of stable. And that sets up better cycles when you're cutting. But if you're always, if you're always kind of cutting, if you're, you know, you, you just, you run into kind of a bad math equation, Right. And if you can keep improving your metabolic math, you know, that ends up being a good thing. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I was talking to some, some high-level athletes, say, yeah, you know, I don't track, you know, um, any idea on what I can do, you know, to get better as an athlete? Yeah, track, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, unless you're Rich Froning or Matt Frazier or, you know, um, you know, Usain Bolt, whoever's the best of the best, if you're in second place, you should probably track, you know, because if they don't track, at the very least, you have a little bit of an edge up on them from that from that standpoint. You know, one of the things that we've, you're seeing a lot more with these high level, you know, they had road to the CrossFit games and stuff like this. There was a lot of talk about macros, you know, so that is a big, big divide compared to the way CrossFit was, you know, four to five years ago when people were talking about zone blocks. Now pretty much nobody's talking about zone blocks. You know, um, the idea, you know, I mentioned the zone to somebody um, who's a, who is a PhD um, exercise physiologist, and they were like, is that for real? You know, and I think, you know, I think the zone can work, you know, but I think the way that that people that try to make it work, they they tend to do zone with fat, which is seems odd to me. You know, um, because when we're talking about performance, we really need more carbohydrates to fuel those performance. Not saying that fats are bad, but I'm just saying that you know I see people overdoing fats. But the one thing that I always say in seminars is the first time I ever see somebody you know, bulking on the zone or working towards maintenance on the zone, 
that'll be the first time I've ever seen it, right? Pretty much everyone on the zone is cutting all the time. And at some point, just, at some point your I body just, adjusts to that. I just want to say I worked with an in-to-perform athlete who did zone forever, and they liked the idea of not, you know, tracking calories and things like that. And they said, can I still do the zone? You know, like do the blocks. And, and I was like, absolutely. You know, we just have to figure up, you know, your blocks, you know, compared to the adequate amount you should be eating. And it went from like 18 to like 37 blocks a day. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and they, they did it. They still did it. They just ate more blocks and they realized, you know, whenever you actually broke it down, they were like, holy crap, you know, I wasn't hardly eating anything. Same you know, thing. I, I will say, I will say, I think the zone works great for someone brand new who has no knowledge of nutrition or tracking or just ate whatever and had no clue of anything of protein, you know, someone brand new, just something simple, you know, but it's it's been proven to show that over time, you know, it, it wears off and it doesn't it doesn't last. I don't think the zone is simple. I think the zone is actually harder than using something like my fitness ball. Look, the zone was made to compete against Weight Watchers. It was made in the early seventies, right? Weight Watchers was late sixties. So previous to that, there was no tracking. You know, there was no calories on the internet. There was no MyFitnessPal. There was no, you know, I don't even know what the competitors are to MyFitnessPal anymore. You know, um, but now that that type of stuff is more accessible to people, I mean, there's just no need for the zone, you know. Um, and the idea behind the zone is that you'd have an adequate amount of fats. You'd have an adequate... But if you're always assuming that less is the answer, you're going to always eat less blocks. You know, I mean, I have a similar story to you where, and I think you know this, this was, this was actually the first um, CrossFit athlete that I'd ever worked with. Um, well, no, that's not true. That's not true, actually. Um, uh, but it was the first male, for sure. Um, and he was doing zone, and... Uh, he was eating, I believe it was 2,200 or 2,500 blocks a day. And, you know, boom, boom, boom. You know, checked out his calories. Started talking to him about foods, stuff like that. And basically 22 to 25 is basically 2,200 to 2,500 calories, depending on, you know, fats and such. But it's in that ballpark. I moved him to 4,500 calories within like a day, right? Um, and... He went from not sleeping um, and barely wanting to work out to doing two-a-days. He was 225, went down to 210, and made regionals for the first time ever. And that's the kind of thing when you're taking, you know, an uninformed approach, you know, it's not, you know, like April's saying, is the zone bad? I can take any we can both take any diet that you're looking at and we can make it much better but what we can't do is constantly look at down and go oh yeah that's going to be the answer because eventually down doesn't work anymore you know and you know you have to kind of regulate things that's the other thing too and i think you know um this was probably a little bit of a mistake. I wouldn't say it was, you know, 
um, a bad thing because on the one hand, you're trying to help people mentally, right? You're trying to get them to a point. Nowadays, these are our plans. This is the way you do the plan, right? And we'll work with you to try and, 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 and meet you in the middle. But we know what works for the good majority of people, at least as it relates to trial and error. And then we go through some level of trial and error to see what works for you. And then, you know, hopefully we hit a groove. And then you're obviously on the way to results town. But when we first started off, we would set plans kind of conservatively because that's what people wanted, right? So people didn't want to move to X amount of calories and most of them were scared of carbohydrates. At this point, when I'm talking to someone like that and I'm setting up their plan, I say, well, do this for me. Just do this one day, right? And then, you know, I'll look at the macros that they have and I'll adjust it with carbohydrates and then I'll bring fats to a little bit lower on that day, right? So they can see that having carbohydrates will not only have them feeling more energetic throughout the day, feel better with the workouts, but they don't necessarily have to gain weight when they have carbohydrates, right? And that's the, that's the, the big myth out there. You know, when you look at eat to form plans, you have your high days, which are going to be the days that you're working out most of the time. And your medium and low days aren't vastly different, you know. Um, and so depending on what you do and how you do it, you know, then you'll end up uh, either, you know, seeing a, a result. More, most people are obviously looking for some level of fat loss and, and there's... A high correlation of fat loss as it relates to weight loss a lot of the time and so you know that's going to end up being a goal when you look at how we can customize plans these days I mean it's just night and day compared to where we were three to four years ago right because what we were trying to do was what a lot of other diets were trying to do right except ours was kind of like anti-diet but what we found was is that the more we could customize that, the better the results would be. And, you know, I think specifics and getting back to kind of like that food logging piece is, is a big part of that. Any thoughts on what I'm saying there, April? Yeah, I cut out there for a second. Um, my internet went down um, or bleeped out, but, you know, um, I agree about getting in with the consistent food logging and also tracking your trending your weight. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a data point, you know, at some point you have to, you have to embrace it. And, you know, if you want a specific result, you gotta be specific bottom line. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I think the problem is, is that when you, you know, I was listening to this podcast, like I said, you know, on the way to Lincoln, Nebraska. And it was talking about failure and how, you know, there's at Google, there's a project called the X Project. And they've done all kinds of things from Google Glass to, you know, um, pretty much everything that's ever come out of Google that was really kind of interesting or even kind of weird, you know. 
has come from this project. Um, and they actually reward employees for um, create, you know, finding failure, right? The, the more failure you can find, the, the better um, you can either move on to what works or move on to something completely different. Then the other person, the second part, because the way it works at NPR, um, they do kind of a TED Talks thing, but it's kind of, a, they do three of them, three or four. The next guy then talked about trial and error, and the way that he described it was just so easy to perform, you know. And I think that we've been able to solve a lot of problems based on not coming at it from the perspective, you know, a lot of people look at a client and they think, okay, this is this client's broken, you know, how can we change that? You know, and how can we fix their problems? And I think, you know, well, we do have a book called We Can Fix That. But I think the the way that I work best, and I think this is also a strength of April's, is that we don't look at it from the standpoint of we know all the things and we know that this is going to work here, right? We have a basic assumption that each person is an individual. And so when you look at the rhythm or when you look at high, medium, low days, they're not the plan. That's not the answer. That's the baseline. That's the idea that we're working from that will then allow us to make the changes that will ultimately get you the results that you want. And what I think happens a lot in health and fitness is people walk in with the idea that they know all, right? And that if, you know, here's what I know, here's the five things that I know, and these five things will lead to you to get this. And usually those five things are hard work, you know, eating less, you know, like kind of the standard stuff. And simple fact is, is that most people don't want to kill themselves in the gym forever. At some point, you're going to be 82 years old and you're going to want to stay lean. How do you do that? Right. And then the other point is, you know, um, you're 82 years old and you like to have a glass of wine with your wife, who's also 82 years old, you know. And so, you know, is that not a reasonable thought? Is that not what people can do? And I think that what health and fitness will move towards is listening to the want of the client. That's what the client wants. The client wants to just, I don't think that the clients want extreme results. I think ultimately they want, you know, abs or to be down 40 pounds or, or whatever. But what they really want is gradual success. And they'd be willing to wait for eventual success as long as they're having gradual success, right? And um, that said, you can't ignore all the bad plans that came before this, right? And sometimes 
those things, you know, I mean, if you've been working out for six hours a day and eating 1,200 calories for the last 20, 25 years, well, there might be a little price to pay for that. But that's okay. You know, that's where you're at. Wherever you're at is where you're going to be for that day. And then we just move forward. But I think the other thing, too, and I hear this often, where people feel paralyzed, you know, by change or a new idea or, or something of that effect. I think one of the coolest things about Eat to Perform, um, and I was having a discussion with, um, like I said, the PhD related to body fat percentage. And um, she was fairly familiar with Eat to Perform. Um, two of the people in her building um, do Eat to Perform. And um, she said that the thing that she thought was most interesting was all the people that were doing it in the same place. And so it allowed for social proof. It allowed for, you know, um, everyone to feel like they were on a similar journey, right? Um, I'm going to check the Facebook and uh, see what that's saying. Any thoughts on what I'm saying at this point? I think it's been proven that when you have a community you know, it's kind of similar to like CrossFit. And that's why a lot of people enjoy CrossFit because of the community aspect. You know, same thing, like like what you were just saying. You know, there's when you have multiple people doing it that you can socialize and interact and get ideas and share and, you know, things like that. It just makes it that much more sustainable and enjoyable to adhere to. You know, if you've got some rigid plan that some online coach or someone gave you and you just go off and you just have to follow it, you know, number one, you have no one to share your results with if you do stick to it, you know, but it's kind of like you're all alone doing your own thing, you know. So. Yeah, I you know, I, th I think CrossFit gets a lot of credit for having community, but I was in powerlifting. They had a really good community there, you know. Um, Orange Theory, I mean, I hear about Orange Theory all the time. You know, and, and people love their trainers at Orange Theory. They definitely have huge community. I mean, you know, if you go to a, you know, I was talking to someone that manages an Orange Theory with 1,500 people, you know. Um, that's a pretty big community, you know, of a lot of people working towards a similar goal. And so I think the, the, the real question is, you know, I think you can get a little bit caught up in community, though, Right. And it's, it's fun to go out, work out with Marge at 7 a.m., right? But at the same time, are you still focused on the things that will get you to where you want to go, right? And, and community is a piece of it. But at the same time, you still have to kind of keep your eyes on the ultimate prize. Or be open to changing what you thought the ultimate prize was going to be. All right, so I think we pretty much covered that to death. And so we are going to shut this down. I've got cod waiting for me. I don't know why I'm so excited about this cod, but I've been making, you know, with uh, HelloFresh. Oh, here's here's something that might be interesting to people. Anybody that's any form member, um, we have challenges. We try to encourage people to do things. This, um, in August, is really sleep and stress challenge and I've been talking a lot about my decaf by the way my sleep has been phenomenal I mean moving to decaf you know, it took a, it took 
probably a week and a half to get there. Um, but my sleep has been great. But this month, we're giving away a HelloFresh gift certificate, not boxes, right? So a lot of the time, you know, you can get HelloFresh free, but it kind of comes with, yeah, but we need your credit card, right? Or if you have HelloFresh already, you can't get that promotion. This is not that. This is a gift certificate that we are buying to give to our clients because we think that meal planning is, is important. And I know people get intrigued by um, having food delivered to their house. The way that I think HelloFresh is different is that it teaches you things. I would have never bought cod, right, to make for myself until HelloFresh. And it taught me how to make cod. And I've been able to make some really good cod, you know, recently. I mean, as good as cod gets, I suppose. You know, I mean, I'm not in love with cod. But at the same time, you know, uh, it's taught me bunches of little tricks along the way. And so, you know, I think when you delivered food, you know, there was there was like this, you know, other kind of diet thing that uh, I, I saw. And they were talking about this nutrition, you know, food that they, they're sending people and I know ultimately that uh, they're they're really focused on a caloric deficit. So it's like, okay, here's your meal. Here's your four ounces of chicken and your 14 carrots. You know, like HelloFresh isn't like that. HelloFresh is, is fun meals. I mean, I haven't had a meal that I didn't like, you know. Um, now, there might be one eventually, but I just haven't had one yet, you know. And a lot of times we'll make, you know, two or three meals ahead of time. We're actually started to, to get them also for um, my daughters who are vegetarians. And so they make their own um, HelloFresh boxes and, and they kind of had like that experience. And so so that's, that's something coming. We also have a new um, supplement store for you to perform. That's going to, we're, we're just putting the finishing touches on that. But right now we have we have a protein store. We're probably going to close that, um, and hopefully move the protein that was there over to this new system, which is a lot better, a lot more expansive. You know, much bigger brands that people know, they're comfortable with, and then they can buy. One of the great things about it too, April, um, is they have Vitargo. You know, um, they have Vitargo. They have Killcliff. You know, a, a lot of things that we've been big supporters of, you know, for a very long time. And so I'm really super excited about that. Um, what's nice about the program we're using is there's price guarantees. And so, you know, you're, you're going to be getting the lowest price available. And then there's a 10% um, discount for each form. Um, well, not just members, but, you know. Um, for you to perform. So I'll put that information, we'll have some of that information on the website, some of that information, and then we also, you know, once again for members, we'll have like some, some prize packages, um, kind of a little smaller than the HelloFresh, but it'll definitely be interesting. All right, I think that covers us for tonight. And uh, yeah, so Dusty's saying HelloFresh gets you out of a food rut. I completely agree with that. All right, April, you go get 
some sleep. It's late in North Carolina time, and I appreciate everybody being here, and we'll talk to you later. Good night, everyone.